Okay, let's uh, go to the Word of God. I'm going to read, first of all, from Numbers 21. Numbers 21, 4 to 9. And then John 3, 1 through 21. So first of all, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Listen to the Word of God. From Mount Hor, they, that is the people of God, the children of Israel, set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, the manna. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people that the Lord, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let's now go to John chapter 3, where we're reading the verses 1 through 21. John 3, 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it, it, where it goes. So it is with the, everyone born who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things. 
So, so no, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may, not, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, he is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their, work, their works were evil. Not everyone who does wicked things hates the light. For, I should say, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that, the works have, that his works have been carried out in God. The text for this afternoon's sermon is John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, John 3, verse 16 is arguably the best-known text in the Bible. There are many texts of Scripture that summarize the Gospel in just a few words, in just a simple thought or two, and John 3.16 is one of them. And I would preach to you about that this afternoon. Under this theme, God loves the world. God loves the world. And we'll see three things. First of all, we'll focus on this love's universal character. Secondly, its sacrificial nature. And third, its eternal purpose. Universal character, sacrificial nature, and eternal purpose. So first of all, God's love is universal in that he, in that he loved, loved the world. Now, what here is meant by the word world? If we're going to say that God loves the world, it's important that we know what is meant with the word world. For world can mean several things, at least three things in, uh, in the New Testament. First, it can mean the created earth or even the whole universe. Talk, the, the word is actually cosmos. God loved the cosmos. In today's, um, in today's usage, the word cosmos in the English language refers to the whole universe. Second, world or cosmos can refer to the influences and evil powers in the world that are hostile to God and at war with him and the church and that we need to realize that we are at war with and we need faithfully to fight against 
those powers and influences of the world that come at us and seek to strangle us in the crib. Third, cosmos, as it is used in the New Testament, can also refer to mankind. The whole human race, fallen man in terrible need of the forgiving grace of God. John 3.16 is using the word world in this third way, refer, referring to mankind. God gave his only son to the world that whoever, man, woman, or child, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God came to man right after he had fallen into sin. Do you remember that, children? God came to Adam and Eve, called for them, said, where are you? Called to them in paradise. When he saw that man had plunged himself into physical and spiritual death and had made himself completely miserable, our gracious God in his great love set out to seek him man when he trembling had fled from him in adam we trembling because of our sin fled from god he comforted him with the promise that he would give him his son born of a woman to bruise the head of the serpent to crush the serpent's head and to make man Blessed. Well, that moment came in history. You know it. When God fulfilled the promise, God sent his one and only son. He was into the world. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem, sent to the Jews, sent to the old covenant people of God sent to the children of Israel. You remember that, do you not, children? Who were the first ones to go to Bethlehem to worship the Lord? They were shepherds. Shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord and the whole host of the, the heavenly choir came and sang to them and the angel of the Lord sent them to Bethlehem, the shepherds representing the people of God of the Old Testament, the children of Israel, went to worship the Christ, the Christ child. But it became clear very quickly that not that he was not only that he had not only come for the Jews. He was the Savior not only of the Jewish people, but the Savior of the world. Children, you remember that other men came to worship Christ. Those wise men, magi, they were, they were wise men from the east. They had seen the star heralding the birth of a king in Israel. And they came all the way from Mesopotamia to worship the Christ child. These men were Persians and they represented the Gentiles. So Jews and Gentiles worshiping Christ at his cradle. Now from time to time during, the, during his ministry, our Lord reached out to 
not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And after he died and rose again, and before he ascended into heaven, he sent his disciples, whom he had named apostles. Apostle means sent out one. That's what the word means. He sent them out with the good news to take that to all the nations on earth. The word about Jesus Christ must be announced and proclaimed universally and without discrimination. We can't say, no, we're not going to go to those people in Asia or in Africa or wherever. We're not going to go to them. They don't know. The church has been sent out to preach the gospel universally and without discrimination to all peoples to whom God in his good pleasure has sent the gospel together with the command to repent and believe. And so since Pentecost, the good news of Jesus Christ has been proclaimed throughout the world to the nations. And we see that in the book of Acts. The, the apostles first went to Jerusalem. That's where they had to start. But then there were increasing concentric circles. Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, of all places, and then to the nations of, of the, the earth. Now, we live in a very interesting time. And we need to pay attention to that. The nations have come to us. The command to go out to the nations with the word, the gospel, has not been repealed. It is not obsolete. But even though we still have that command to go out to the nations, we also need to realize that the nations have come to us through immigration, refugees. Refugees, many refugees have come to our shores, have come to our doorstep. The nations of the world lie at the church's doorstep. And even, praise the Lord, within our congregations, every ethnic group that you can imagine, every religion you can think of lies just outside the doors of the church building. The mission field begins where the driveway to the parking lot ends. We're, we're at that juncture. That's where the mission field begins. Our cities are dotted with temples of various religions. So many people in Canada need to hear the gospel more and more all the time. The good news, the good news for our non-Christian neighbors is that God did not give up on mankind when men sinned. But in love, he sent his only son to be the way to be the way to God, the Father. He sent his only son to, um, to take away, this, as the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. And the church has a responsibility to take that message out and, and uh, among mankind and call people to repentance and faith in Jesus. We take that message out through word and deed. We, in our day-to-day -day lives, are called to live out the gospel, 
No, we don't need a big, we don't need to make a big fanfare out of it. Just in your day-to-day lives, you need, we are all to be in our day-to-day lives, living in our, our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our places of work, where we go to school, being living letters of Christ. So that's, first of all, about the universal character of God's love. Then secondly, the sacrificial nature of God's love for the world. The Gospel says that God gave His only Son to the world. Now what does that make you think of? What does that remind you of? That expression, only Son, one and only Son. What does that remind you of? Does it not remind you of Abraham Abraham and Isaac? Reminds me of that. Remember the story? God told Abraham to take his only son, the son for whom he had prayed for and longed for and waited for and joyfully received, called him Isaac. It means he laughs. He brings joy. The Lord said, Abraham, take your only son, the son whom you love, and go to the mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Just imagine fathers, you who have the privilege of fathers, imagine being given such a command regarding one of your children. Abraham, with the heaviest heart a father could ever have had, proceeded to obey in faith. And as he was about to slay Isaac, he had put Isaac on the altar that he had built. As he was about to slay him, the angel of the Lord God himself said to Abram, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the child, on the boy. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Oh, beloved, what Abraham was not required to do, God did. God gave his son, his only son, to be a sacrifice on the cross for Isaac, for Abram, for you, for me, for everyone whom the Lord calls unto him. The Lord Jesus himself tied his being given to the world He tied it to the cross. It's an intimate connection between his being given to the world and the cross. And he knew that in John chapter 3. This is clear if you read John 3, 14 through 16 as a unit. Let me read it. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Get the better sense of it eh? when you read it in its context. The Lord was referring here to the snake episode. When Israel sinned in the wilderness, rebelled against, um, against Moses and against God, The people of Israel were getting very impatient with life in the wilderness. 
they focused their hatred on the manna, the manna bread, the manna bread which God had so graciously provided them. Every night, every night the manna bread fell. Every night. God had graciously sent them manna, something Psalm 78 calls the bread of angels to them. And they said, after a while, we detest this miserable food. Can you imagine? By detesting the manna, they were spurning the grace of God. To punish them, God sent poisonous snakes to bite them and to kill them. And then the people repented and they prayed, they begged Moses to ask God to, uh, for help. God then told Moses to make a, braze, a, a, a bronze snake and to lift it up high on a pole. And whoever looked at that snake on the pole, whoever looked at it would be healed and would live. Whoever looked at the bronze snake would not perish, but would have life. In John, in John chapter 3, the Lord said that the snake lifted up in the, in, the, in the desert pointed to him, prefigured him, was a type of him. In the same way, the Son of Man, the Messiah, would be lifted up high on a pole. And whoever would look at him in faith would have life, would not perish, would have eternal life. The Lord Jesus said something similar later on in John 12, 31. He said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He's referring to being lifted up on the cross, but then also being lifted up into heaven. And from heaven, he would draw people to himself. The cross of Christ shows God's love for the world like nothing else, beloved. The center of our religion is the cross. As Paul said it, we glory in the cross of Christ. God sent his Son into the world to save the world through the death of his Son on the cross. As John wrote elsewhere in his first letter, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation. Big word, theological word. Atoning sacrifice, sometimes it's translated. To be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Our sins, beloved, concentrated, focused on, cross, on, on Christ. Christ on the cross. And he took them to the cross. You hear that? Look to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He is the only atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, beloved, we have spoken about the universal 
character of God's love for the world, about the sacrificial nature of God's love for the world, and then finally, we're going to speak about the eternal purpose of God's love for the world. The purpose, the purpose is that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It is amazing that believers are said to have eternal life. For strictly speaking, only God has eternal life. Eternal life is life without beginning and without end. Only God, strictly speaking, only God has that kind of life. Strictly speaking, believers are given everlasting life. Everlasting life has a beginning point. Your beginning point was your conception and birth. That's the beginning point. And then from there we have everlasting life. Believers live on everlastingly. It is everlasting one way, while eternal life is everlasting both ways, backwards and forwards. The gospel says that if you believe in the Son of God, whom God gave to the world for its salvation, then you will have eternal life. Not just everlasting life, but eternal life. So we enter into a completely new quality of life. Eternal life is not just quantity, life without end. It is that, but it is much more. The life of a different sort and a different kind. The life, life with God. The life of God. As Peter, the Apostle Peter writes in his second letter, second letter um, said that through the promise of God, we become partakers of the divine nature. Escaping the sin and corruption of this present life, we are born again to a new life, a new life in the kingdom of God, the life of God. We share in the divine nature. In his conversation with Nicodemus, the Lord Jesus said that people need to be born again. Man, ever since he fell into sin, is so corrupt that he is totally unable to do any good, inclined to all evil and bound for one place only, and that is eternal hell. This is his state and status, unless he is regenerated by the Spirit of God, born again. How are people born again? Unto eternal life? By believing in the Savior whom God sent to the world. Being born again to eternal life comes through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, and believing in Christ, looking to Christ in faith. Beloved, 
We must believe in him. God's gift of love to the world and the universal proclamation of the gospel calls for faith. The gospel must be preached together with the command to repent and believe. We don't preach a gospel of cheap grace. Oh, God loves everyone. No. God's, the, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ calls for repentance. We need to repent of our sin and believe in Christ. God's love and God's gift are received only by faith in Jesus Christ. We are called to repent and believe. All who hear the gospel, it's a huge responsibility to hear the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing more beautiful than hearing the gospel. But it's a big responsibility, and it's a big responsibility to proclaim and to speak about the gospel because all who are called by the gospel are called to repent of their sin and to believe in Christ and so receive eternal life. The news is so good. The gift of God to the world is so good that every excuse to resist is cut off. No exceptions. Th th those who resist will perish utterly and everlastingly. They will be condemned to the, to the, the misery of hell forever. As John 3.18 says, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is the touchstone. He is the measure. He is the reference point that divides the world into two. As the word says in John 5.24, whoever hears his word and believes him who sent him, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. But those who believe, but uh, those who, the, the world, the world lies dead. It lies dead in sin. But those who believe in the Son of God whom, God, whom God sent, they cross over from death to eternal life. What does that make you think of? Crossing over. What does that make you think of? It makes us think of the children of Israel crossing over the Red Sea. Egypt, the land of death and of slavery, was behind them, and the promised land lay before them. The way we cross over from death to life is by faith. God uses our faith to accomplish his plan, his plan for those whom he, in his inscrutable wisdom, has elected from, e from eternity and by pure grace. And even that faith, that faith which is essential, that faith without, without which one cannot be saved, is the gift of God. Think of that one criminal crucified with Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
I was imagining that this is way, way in the future. Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. That criminal, as he was dying on the cross, looked to Christ, looked to Christ in faith and received eternal life, even as he died. He died, he opened his eyes, and there he was in the heavenly glories. Beloved, Jesus Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. At that time, the division within mankind will be fully realized. Those who did not believe, those who did not believe in Jesus Christ, those who do not believe, will perish everlastingly. They will get what they wanted, eternal hell. But those who believe will be brought into the kingdom of eternal life. Now the thought of Jesus coming again, the great judgment day, when we read those stories, it's kind of scary. kind of scary to think that Jesus Christ is going to come, that he knows everything, that he is going to judge the living and the dead. How is your fear allayed? How is your fear laid to rest? By repenting of your sin and by believing in Christ, the only Savior. Repentance makes us flee to sin. Repentance means that you hate your sin. And as we flee to Christ, we embrace him in faith. By faith in Christ, we receive the full forgiveness of all our sins. We receive a new birth unto eternal life. This is, does not mean that you're not going to sin anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not going to face troubles and difficulties. Being born again does not mean that you're never going to experience hardship. Also, the children of Israel, after the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea, they entered the wilderness and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They hadn't yet crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, but they were in the wilderness for 40 years and it was often very difficult. Today we are, as it were, in the wilderness. We've crossed the Red Sea, but we are spending our 40 years in the wilderness. But soon, beloved, we will come to another river, the Jordan River, and we will cross over and there will be milk and honey on the other side. Look to Christ in faith as you make your way through the wilderness. Keep your eye on Christ at all times as you make your way through to the, towards the better country. Beloved, long-time members, new members, visitors, may we all look to God's Son God's only Son in faith so that none of us perish but that we may have eternal life. Do you? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You're here worshiping Him, aren't you? Second time on this Lord's Day? You believe in Him, do you not? Yes, you believe in Him. And if you don't, do so, beloved.
that you may have life, eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sent your Son into the world, that you have sent him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we thank you that even today that glorious gospel is being proclaimed, that the Canadian Reformed churches can have a seminary in which ministers are trained, pastors, and also missionaries, and that men do go out, continually go out with that glorious message of salvation. Make us also sensitive to the, the fact, the inescapable fact, that the nations of the earth have come to us. Many fleeing persecution, many fleeing uh, distress of one sort or other, coming here as refugees, we pray that we may have our arms open for them, that we may receive them, and that they may learn to know the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and also as it is expressed in our Reformed confessions, which have been honed and fine-tuned over the years in the fires of persecution. And so we pray that uh, they may come to a good understanding and that we may be well-equipped to speak the glorious gospel to those who have come to our country and city and church and neighborhood. We ask you, Father, to be with uh, our pastor, Pastor Holtfleur, be with him and his family. We thank you for the work that he can do in our midst and that he can also preach that glorious gospel from Sunday to Sunday. We thank you for the special project that he was working on. He's making some good headway in that. And we pray that you will be with him and his family this summer that they may um, re recuperate and regain their strength and that he may take up his work again uh, soon enough, full-time preaching uh, on this pulpit and teaching the youth of the church and also teaching others new to the Christian faith. We f thank you, Father, for all of your good gifts, and we thank you for the gift of a faithful pastor. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>